Welcome to Bethlehem North Women's Bible Study. We're about four weeks into our shelter at home guidelines. I sure miss gathering with you all, but I am thankful for technology that lets us connect via email and Zoom and podcast. Last fall, when we began our study of Galatians, I asked if you had ever known that you needed to have a difficult conversation with someone, but you dreaded it. You knew that you couldn't avoid it. Can any of you identify with me? Perhaps some of you are familiar with the book, Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. A crucial conversation is defined as a discussion between two or more people where, number one, the stakes are high, number two, opinions vary, and number three, emotions run strong. Well, Paul knew he needed to have a crucial conversation with the churches in Galatia, so he took up his pen to respond to the messy situation there. Paul's concern and love for the believers led to a tone of urgency and edginess, so he chose his opening words very carefully, and his grace-filled greeting introduced us to the gospel that's from God and is for God's glory. Paul opened his letter with grace to you and peace. And we learned that each word was loaded with significance. Paul used a subtle wordplay with the word grace in Greek, charis, and it's just a few letters different from the Greek word for greeting. And he used the word peace, which would remind his Hebrew readers of the word shalom. So Paul was reaching out to both groups in the churches of Galatia. This is a great summary of Paul's gospel of salvation. It's a great model of prayer, too, and it's rooted in the Old Testament. Number 6, verses 24 through 26, is a common blessing or benediction we hear at the end of a church service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And now Paul ends with a grace-filled, cross-centered gospel goodbye. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Now, most letters from Paul and other Greek and Roman letters have an opening greeting, a main body, and a closing. Often, the greeting points to important themes that will be developed later in the letter. In our day, letters might begin, Dear Mom, and then we sign our name at the end. I love you, Pam. Even junk mail has this format, Dear Pam. But I have to go to the last page of the letter to see who is writing. But in Paul's day, it was customary to begin with the from and the to, followed by the main body of the letter, and then he would give a closing or a blessing. So Galatians has given us a picture of grace that is both glorious and infinitely good. And so why would we want to desert this marvelous grace? This passage is Paul's final plea It's his invitation to trust in the true gospel of grace. He's saying, stay true to the gospel. You are a new creation. 
So I'd like to read Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18, and pray as we begin. Would you join me in reading? See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would like us to learn from this last passage in Galatians? Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to help us understand and to transform us through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we start, we see that in verse 11, Paul assured the Galatians that he himself wrote this letter. He added his signature here at the end of the letter. We know from other letters that Paul often dictated his words to a secretary who would physically write on the parchment. So when he wrote, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, this might be a reference to eyesight issues, You might remember him saying that the Galatians loved him so much that they would have gouged out their eyes for him. But most scholars think that he was stressing the importance of what he was writing, like we would use bold font or all caps or bright red font with bright yellow highlighting. Let me remind you of the context here. We're coming to the end of the letter, so let's just recap where we have been. Paul defended his authority and the one true gospel in chapters 1 and 2. Then in chapters 3 and 4, he explained the gospel of grace and the glorious freedom that it brings. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he applied the gospel by commanding us to love and to serve one another in everyday life. We've been reminded to embrace and follow the true gospel message and not allow ourselves to be misled by the false gospels of our day. All around us are enticements to believe that there must be something that we can do or we must do to be good enough for God. Look around at the world's great religions and you will see all kinds of variations, all based on our performance or a mixture of grace and rule-keeping. Comments like this, Trust Jesus, yes, but make sure you check off all those boxes too. Well, we've seen in Galatians that the wonderfully liberating news of the gospel is that Christ alone has performed perfectly for us. Jesus fulfills the law and justifies believers 
We are not saved by what we do, but by what Jesus has done for us. Not by making promises to God, which we fail to keep, but by believing His promises. Adding any requirements to what Jesus our Savior has already done to secure our justification robs Him of glory and it robs us of the freedom His precious blood bought for us. Pastor Jason likes to point out sandwiches in biblical passages. In his Easter Sunday sermon, we saw a hope sandwich in Revelation 7. He said that hope is a person. In Galatians, we've seen many sandwiches, haven't we? In fact, the whole letter is one supersized foot-long gospel sandwich. Paul began with grace, he ends with grace, and unpacks the meat of the gospel along with all the wonderful toppings and sauces. Paul's greeting was this back in chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. After introducing the glorious gospel of grace and peace through Jesus, which doesn't contain a single word about anything that we do, Paul burst into a song of praise, a doxology, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We learned that this was a bit unusual to conclude a greeting this way, although Paul does this to end sections of theology in other letters, such as Romans 11 or Ephesians 3. But why not here, after telling us of our glorious, gracious rescuer? All the glory goes to God, and that glory, that boasting, is not shared with us. Paul's gospel, the true gospel, is centered on the grace of God through Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection, nothing else not Moses or the law. This gospel of grace brings true peace and freedom. You'll notice that we have a bookend here in our passage in Galatians 6, verse 14, where Paul writes, But far be it from me to boast or to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here in this last passage of Galatians, as Paul summarizes so many of his main themes, we see one last sandwich, a cross sandwich. The cross is the center of this passage, and it has been a central theme in Galatians. Let's see how Paul structured this last section. You'll notice it in verses 12 and 13. Uh, Paul talks about the cross, and he mentions circumcision three times in these two verses. And then in verse 14, he talks about the cross being our only boast. And then verse 15, he talks about the new creation, not circumcision. And you'll notice that circumcision is mentioned two times in verse 15. So let's dig into this passage. My first point is that the cross exposes our motives. First, the motives of the Judaizers. We see this in verses 12 and 13. They like to exalt themselves. 
So Paul is taking kind of like a parting blow to these false teachers, the Judaizers. It's all about their desires here. Why do they want to impose circumcision? Paul says it's really about pride, about looking good in the eyes of men. They want to make a good showing. Acceptance and approval is what they are craving. But it's also about avoiding persecution. Why would becoming circumcised cause a person not to suffer for the cross of Christ? Well, because at this stage of church history, the persecution was coming from the Jews. Many thousands of Jews were trusting Jesus as their Savior, the Messiah, like Paul did. However, there were those, like some of the Pharisees, who had great influence, who could not accept this concept of justification apart from works of the law. They were the ones who were persecuting the uncircumcised Gentiles who were coming in, trying, and they were trying to convince them that they had to be circumcised and convert to Judaism in order to be considered a true part of the born-again body of believers. You remember that circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Sign in Hebrew is a mark, like a brand or a tattoo. This is evidence or a witness, something that identifies a person as belonging to a particular class or a group. The big controversy centered around circumcision because that was the one thing that identified a person as a partaker of the covenant. Tim Keller said, The cross is by nature offensive, and we can only grasp its sweetness if we first grapple with its offense. If someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it is repugnant to them. If it is neither of those two things, they haven't understood it. The gospel is offensive, a stumbling block to the Jews and a laughing stock to the Gentiles. The gospel is foolishness in the world's eyes. So they, these Judaizers, they don't want to be persecuted for preaching the cross, for fear of human rejection. But they do want the approval of man or the glory for another convert to legalism. They love human praise and boasting. It's like one more notch on their belts. Paul actually says that they want to boast in your flesh. So they like to focus on a law that seems easy to keep, outwardly measurable, but they fail miserably to keep laws like loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So compare this to the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This is Paul's final warning here. It's a warning to us as well. He says, don't rely on outward behavior for salvation. That might bring the praise of man and popularity, but it can't bring righteousness or eternal life. So we need to ask ourselves about our motives. 
Who are we like? Why are we so tempted to turn to ways to save ourselves? Do we find the gospel offensive or insulting because we think there must be something good in us? Ways that we come up with to save ourselves usually involve some outward behavior that is measurable, a box to check. Jesus emphasized giving and praying in secret, so these things were not meant to impress others. We are not to boast in works. So what are we to boast in? Here we come to verses 14 through 17, and we see the motives of Paul. Paul wants to boast in the cross. We come to the center of the sandwich here, the cross. Paul says he will boast only in the cross of Jesus. The NIV says, may I never boast except in the cross. He wants to glory in the cross alone. This is a strange statement. Why would Paul boast or exult in the cross? This would be like us boasting in other forms of execution, like the electric chair or lethal injection, except that the cross involved excruciating suffering. Paul places the cross and circumcision side by side for us to see how diametrically opposed they are and to help us see all that Jesus has bought for us at the cross. Circumcision was a bloody and painful pointer to how our sin needs to be surgically removed. Our sin cuts us off from God, and our sin needs to be cut off. When Jesus was crucified in our place, he was cut off in order to save those who would turn to him, and we are reconciled through his blood, brought near, and no longer cut off from God. Can you grasp the amazing grace of God to us? Look at the sheer magnitude of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Paul explained it this way in Colossians chapter 2. He said, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We see here the power of the cross. God's incredible power in reconciling us and his power in raising Jesus from the dead. We also see the purpose of the cross. God's mercy is on display at the cross. His grace, his love, the fact that we have peace with God and reconciliation, salvation, All are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And we see the person of the cross, Jesus. It was Jesus who was cut off for us. He was despised and rejected that I might have peace with God. It is in Jesus that we are raised from death to new life. It is in Jesus that we have been set free from slavery. 
It is in Jesus that we are justified through faith, not by works of the law. It is in Jesus that we have the Spirit living in us, leading us, transforming us, producing fruit in us. It is in Jesus that we become others-centered and not self-centered. Our hope, our boast, our glory is only in the cross. We deserve hell. We don't deserve anything good that we get. We don't deserve Romans 8.28. But if we are in Jesus, if we are crucified with Christ, we will be despised and rejected by the world. Are we willing to be treated like garbage in the world's eyes? This brings me to point number two. The cross defines our new life. Paul says that nothing matters, circumcision or uncircumcision. Nothing matters except being a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, he put it this way, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the new birth that Pastor Stephen preached about on Sunday. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This emphasizes God's sovereignty and his initiative. We didn't do anything to cause our physical births, and we contribute nothing to our spiritual rebirth. It is God alone who saves and gives life. Circumcision or uncircumcision count for absolutely nothing. It's the cross that defines our new life. Our new life is created when our old life is crucified with Christ. Remember another theme verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Our new life, our new creation is characterized by faith. And we've learned in the last two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6, that faith works through love. So we might expect Paul to describe our new life in Christ by using that word in this passage, that word faith. But he doesn't. Why? Well, he's used it many times in Galatians, contrasting it with works of the flesh. But in this passage, believers are new creations who boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to treasure the cross, the power of the cross, the purpose of the cross, and the person of the cross, Jesus. We dare not let our faith be an academic belief that does not lead to worship. We do not boast or glory in anything except the cross. So, Rely on Christ and what he has done, not in yourself and what you can do. The gospel changes everything. It changes what I boast in. It changes the basis for my identity. It changes what I enjoy. Here's a series of questions I'd like for us to ask as we look through this passage again. Are we cross-centered or are we self-centered? What is our mindset? Look at verse 12 and 13 and ask, Is my life characterized by humility or pride? Do I want to make a good showing? How about verse 14? 
Do I boast only in the cross? Or do I let my self-sufficiency creep in? Do I treasure Christ? Or do I treasure the world? And just take a minute here and ask, what did Paul mean that through the cross, the world has been crucified to me? As believers, we now treat the world and all it represents in terms of rebellion against God as dead and worthless. The world is no longer the supreme controlling influence in our lives. We are free to enjoy the world, but we should avoid two ditches. Don't fear the world and don't worship the world. Look at verses 15 and 16 and ask, Do I value being transformed by Jesus or do I value outward performances? As new creations, we have the spirit working in us, faith working through love. We rely on what Jesus has done for us and we don't rely on what we are doing. Look at verse 16 and ask, what's the rule by which I walk? Do I walk in truth or in error? What is my standard? Also ask, who is the Israel of God? Paul is once again reminding us that all believers in Jesus are new creations and are the true Israel, the children of God. And I would ask this question that Pastor Jason has been training us to ask. I wonder what Isaiah would say. Well, you remember back to Galatians 4.27 when Paul quoted Isaiah chapter 54 verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. If we read on in Isaiah, we see another connection here. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love, that word could be translated mercy, shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Peace and mercy, steadfast love and peace be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Okay, so we come to verses 17 and 18 and ask, Do I seek to please Jesus or please other people? We know from Paul's testimony that he bore the mark of the Old Covenant, circumcision. As a Jew, he was circumcised on the eighth day, and he has just said that that circumcision has absolutely no value for salvation. Elsewhere, he says he he actually considers it rubbish. Contrast this with the false teachers who boast in that as a badge of sorts. But what does Paul mean here about the marks of Jesus? The cross was regarded as the ultimate offense in the ancient world, so that the idea of a crucified Messiah was thought to be crazy, even stupid. Paul's identification with Jesus and the cross resulted in being an object of shame as far as the world was concerned. And so persecution resulted. So Paul himself bears the marks of Jesus. So we've come full circle from chapter 1 when Paul began defending his apostolic authority. And we know that he was willing to die for the sake of the gospel.
Paul suffered much to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He had been beaten, whipped, stoned. These marks were like a branding. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up or bear his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Are we willing to suffer for Jesus? Are we afraid of being rejected by friends or family because of Jesus and the cross? Do we not know that we are all infected with the same virus of sin and there is no cure but the cross? Paul began this letter with a grace-filled greeting and now he closes with grace. He says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. We begin by grace. We continue by grace. Grace is a way of life. Jesus is our Lord. This is sweet assurance here from our brother Paul. We truly are the family of God when we are in Christ. You know, along the way, Paul has been very direct. He, in a sense, is saying to these Galatians, I can't believe how you've fallen for a false gospel. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, my dear idiots. But here again, he calls them brothers. Paul has beautifully and articulately defended his apostleship and the gracious truth of the gospel. He has lovingly pleaded with the Galatians to trust in Jesus alone for justification. He has laid it all out for them, and he has argued from the Old Testament and from their own history. But the bottom line is that his logic and arguments can't make blind eyes see the truth. Paul's love and pleading can't raise the dead. God's Spirit is needed to raise us from the dead and give us eyes to see the wonders of God's grace to us in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see the beauty of the cross and to understand why we boast only in the cross. Mercy and grace is purchased by the cross of Jesus. We must die to our pride and our self-sufficiency, die to the praise of others. I wrote in the introduction to this study of Galatians that my prayer was that you would fall more deeply in love with Jesus, see more clearly the wonders of grace, and recognize more readily false teaching when you hear it. Oh, I hope that that prayer has been answered. The math of the gospel is quite astonishing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If we attempt to add anything, anything to what Jesus has done for us at the cross, we take away from his glory, we take away from his glorious grace, we take away from his all-sufficient saving power, and we are left with nothing. Paul said in verse 15 here, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. But the opposite is astounding. Jesus alone, Jesus plus nothing, equals everything. Everything that we need for life and godliness. In Christ, we are new creations. We are crucified with Christ. 
The cross truly is our only ground to boast. Isaac Watts wrote these beautiful words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through his blood. The glorious grace of the gospel is that true salvation means trusting Jesus and nothing else. I plead with you, trust in Jesus alone. May you say with Paul, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.